The pandemic seems to have shut down much of the way we do ministry, and that not only here, but all over the world. But just yesterday, I received a report of a small evangelistic outpost in Tarakan, Indonesia. Eight adults were taught by a church partnership evangelism representative, a model for intercession and dialogue evangelism, which led them in seeing 20 other adults come to Christ out of the majority religion in just the last couple of months. Welcome, everyone. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life. This radio ministry is sponsored by Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, The Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. If you're looking for a place to give that's taking the gospel in direct and personal evangelism throughout the world, then consider RCPE, will you? You can learn more about how God is using us and how to donate to the ministry by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Now we turn to a consideration of the first verses of 2 Kings chapter 8. There we meet again a wonderful woman whose life was impacted by Elisha, and we ask God to make us like her and to make us impactful like Elisha. It's 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. I'll read it, and then we'll begin our message this morning. Then Elijah spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise, and go you and your household, and stay wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. It came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned to the land of the Philistines and she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. Then the king talked to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, please, all the great things Elisha has done. Now it happened as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life, that there was the woman whose son he had restored to life appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the land until now. Well, in our story, we've got three different characters that we're going to look at, and they're characters that we've looked at in the past, and so this will be a bit of a review. And we're going to start by looking at the Shunammite woman. We learned about the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings chapter 4. And we're told in the old King James of that woman that she was a great woman. She's introduced to us with the word great. The Hebrew word for great is gadol. It can mean that the woman was powerful in riches. It could be that she was powerful or great in land. She could be great in the influence that she exercised over others. She could be great by the sheer personal force of her energy in life. The Bible uses the word gadol to describe God as the great God. But he also talks about sins as being great sins. That is, they had a tremendous impact. So she was an impactful woman. In a lot of your translations, you'll read that it says that she was a wealthy woman or a rich woman, which is true if you read those accounts but I don't think if you study her life that that is the source of her greatness or why she's called great I think the word here is a broad word that has a broad expression of the fact that she was a woman who made significant impact on people's lives we talked about this before but let me just kind of review to you the story that we have about her in 2nd Kings chapter 4 and then quickly observe some of the things that we mentioned before about her life 
Elisha's ministry is taking him on a regular basis from where his, at this time, where he is stationed on Mount Carmel, passing by and going to the city of Samaria uh, to meet and consult with the king who he just recently has saved their armies from a vast destruction. As Elisha is passing by, the woman begins to notice this man coming and going by her way, and she decides that she's going to prevail upon him to stop in the middle of his travel so that she can feed him. And the passage tells us that she had to use a particular level of convincing to cause Elisha to actually stop and receive the hospitality she's offering, but eventually he does. And he pauses. She begins to provide for him food and sustenance in his travels. As he's eating before her on a regular basis in his travels, she begins to note that he's a man of particular holiness, and she begins to desire to do more for the man. And so she convinces her husband to build an apartment alongside their house for Elijah to stay in. So he not only walks by and gets food, but he stops and he rests for a while there. And there in that room, it says that she provides for all of his needs. Elisha is blessed by this tremendously and he wants to bless her. So he asks her if he can say anything to the king that would bring favor to her before the king. Or if he could speak on her behalf to people of power so that they might be able to benefit her as well. And her answer is, I dwell among my own people. In other words, I'm content with where I am. I don't need anything else. She wasn't doing this in order to gain favor, and she has no desire to climb up some rung of more influence in her life. But Elisha discovers that she doesn't have a son and that it's a secret sorrow in her life. And so he promises to her that within a year, God is going to send her a son. And she cries out, oh man of God, don't deceive me. It's touched an area in her life that's a great longing for her. And God gives her a son. Within a year, she has a little boy in her arms, The little boy grows up in her house, and through the years, Elisha begins to stop regularly to stay in the apartment that's set out for him. But one day, the child dies suddenly in her arms. And it's in chapter 4 that we see her response. Her response is a response of tremendous faith and also of composed foreplanning. She takes the little child. She goes up to the room that she's made for Elisha. She goes into the bed that she has set aside for Elijah to sleep in, and she lays down the dead child in that bed. She goes to her husband, convinces her husband to let her travel up to Mount Carmel to retrieve Elisha. She goes to Elisha, convinces Elisha to come back to her house in order to come to where her son is. Her reasoning is this, God gave this child to me as a promise, and what God has promised to us, he will not take away. And so her answer is, all is going to be well. And as it turns out, all is well. The child is wonderfully healed and raised from the dead because Elisha goes and falls upon the child and praise and God brings the child back to life. Here are some things that we discussed some time ago and noted about the greatness of this woman. Very quickly, we noted that she was great in hospitality. Hospitality is kindness and action and this Shunammite woman wasn't offering some formal show of kindness. She actually had to pressure Elisha to stop and let her serve him. He wasn't willing at first to receive what she had to offer. She pressed it upon him Her kindness and her hospitality was a way in which she was seeking opportunity to do good. And that was a part of her greatness. She was great in hospitality. She was also great in humility. She's not doing these things to seek an advance for herself. She's not trying to establish some credit by the work she's doing that she can call upon later on. And this is how we did it when we were growing up as kids, right? We remembered the good things we did for our siblings. So when it came handy for us, we pulled that card out and said, hey, listen, I did this for you, right? She didn't do it that way. She's humble in the way that she provided. She wasn't seeking a higher position in her community or seeking favors as a result. She said, I I dwell among my own people. I'm content where I am. That's the other thing. She was great in contentment. 
It's going to be discovered that she doesn't have a child and that it's a secret point of loss in her life. But this loss has not driven her into bitterness. It's not driven her to a state of disappointment, of constant disappointment. She's content where she is. She's asked for nothing and is at rest in the present state that God has given her, even though it's not everything that she would have wanted. Again, she says, I dwell among my own people. I'm, I'm content where I'm at. She's also great in candor. She's honest and straightforward in her speech. I think this is what I appreciate about her the most of all. But I realize it's because she's humble and she's content that she has no angles to gain in what she says to others. And so she's free to say to people what she means and nothing more. Oftentimes we, we layer all kinds of things into our language because secretly we're trying to position ourselves before them or gain favor or gain respect from them. But she's able to be forthright and clear and plain in her speech because she's, she's content. She's humble and she's not seeking advancement. She's also great in perception. She's discerning of the holiness of Elisha as she provides for him. She sees that he's an individual who has wisdom and greatness and she wants to minister to him. I only say this, those who walk in humility before God and whose godliness is a product of being content where God has placed them, those are the ones whom God grants the greatest level of spiritual insight and understanding. 1 Corinthians 2.15 says this, He that is spiritual discerns all things. When you live your life trying to satisfy yourself, when you live your life trying to figure out how you can gain favor and position and honor and acceptance from others or whatever you want, you are taking a walk that takes you increasingly into the fog of your own, the maze of the own complexity of your life. But when you submit to the will of God, when you live contented in what God has given you, when you live in humble surrender before Him, you step away from yourself and you get a clearer and clearer view of the world around you. And so she was great in discernment. She also is great in principle. What I mean by that is she was principled in her goodness. She didn't do these things on an impulse. You know, sometimes you'll see something that will make you feel sad or make you feel a little uncomfortable and then you have an impulse to, to step in and do something to alleviate someone's suffering or some difficulty because it also will lift, alleviate the discomfort you feel yourself. And so in a sense, although it appears you're doing something good for others, you're doing it just as much for yourself. A lot of individuals have figured out now how not even to do that. They just signal a virtue that they mean to do it and they feel good about themselves. But She's not operating on an impulse. She's not trying to make herself feel good for a moment. And the reason we know this is she doesn't do this just once. She does this over and over and over again. Each time Elisha passes by the door, she feeds him and provides for him. And she doesn't just settle with this. She amplifies it. She has an apartment built for him where he can stay and live and remain. And there's a principle behind what she's doing. She's not just engaged in some impulsive one act of kindness or goodness. No. Since this isn't like, you know, bumper sticker Christianity. This is embedded in her life as a principle. She's wanting to care for him and provide for him. And she's doing it, I think, because she wants to glorify God and honor God and honor those that she sees God is resting upon. If you do things even for God simply as an impulse, you might find yourself saying, Hosanna one day and crucify him the next. We're to live off a of principle. A principle that says, I want to glorify God in every area of my life. A principle that leads you to say and sing something like, I'll praise my maker while I breath, or when my soul is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler powers. My days of praise shall ne'er be passed while life or breath or being last or immortality endures. 
That's a principled life. Having said all that, the last thing we see is she was great in persuasiveness. She convinces Elisha initially to stop at her door. She convinces her husband to build an apartment for Elisha. When her son dies, she convinces her husband, you'll see, to let her go to Mount Carmel to find Elisha because he didn't want her to go. And then when she gets to Mount Carmel, she convinces Elisha to come back to her house because he didn't want to go back to her house. She has a persuasive life, and all I can say is this, is that when you live humble, and when you live content, and when you live with an active pursuit, a principal pursuit to bring kindness into other people's lives, God makes your life persuasive. Your life becomes persuasive before others. That's the Shunammite woman. Let's look at the next figure in the story. It's King Joram, or Jehoram. Let's talk about what we've learned about King Jehoram. He's the king of Israel. He's the son of Ahab and Jezebel, that most wicked of kings in Israel. And, and yet we're told that he doesn't follow in the worship of Baal that Ahab introduced and sustained in the land of Israel. But we're told that he continued to do that which was wicked or evil in the eyes of God because he continued to practice the idolatry that was introduced by a king named Jeroboam when the ten tribes of Israel split off from the two tribes of Judah. Jeroboam at that time didn't want the people in Israel to go into Judah to worship at the temple and so he established idols representing the God of Israel, the true God of Israel, but he established these idols so that they would worship before these idols instead of going, these calves that he constructed in two regions of the land so they wouldn't go into Jerusalem and worship at the temple. He thought somehow... Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. Go to traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.